Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. So, hi, I'm Sam from My Confidential. And first question is, do you know what happens to your medical records? Uh, and the answer is no, you don't. Um, this is... yeah. This is not a talk about whether you get a choice in how your records are used. You should. That's a different talk. And the, whatever choice you make is when at that point is entirely up to you. Doesn't matter from here, here on out. And is also a different talk. So assuming that there are choices been made, whether you said, I want to be included, I don't want to be included, whatever happened... The rest of this is, okay, what happens after that? This entire talk is about where your data gets used, what you know about it. Because not only you, but the person sitting next to you and everyone else deserves to have, when their data is used, it to be in a safe environment. They deserve to know, was there, you know, whatever decision they made, what happened as a result of that decision. It's about being safe. And it's about being transparent, whatever your consent choice is. But you don't currently know how your data is used, um, so we probably need a different question. So can you know what happened to some medical records? Yes, you can. Kind of, if you know where to look. And where you look is here. Um, there are open registers, well-structured spreadsheets of where some data goes. It's a start, and it's not about you, but it's about some data set that went somewhere for some reason. If you had a hospital event on a known date in a known hospital because, well, you were there, then you can work out whether you definitely were in that data set. You can also work out, well, you might have been... But it's far from clear-cut, takes a bunch of effort, and you actually can't work out whether you weren't involved for various reasons that basically aren't covered in this talk. So the status quo is, there's a big register, you can go read it if you want, and you require, there is required to be trust in the system. So, straw poll of the audience, do you trust every institution that you have to deal with not to screw up with data? Um, and generally there's been some work done by the Royal Statistical Society who basically did a public poll and said do you trust big long list of institutions uh, from you know, GPs who are the most trusted down to politicians who basically never will trust with their health records and it's a case of you know, what, what's the level of trust in those bodies and you get some figure for each one and they then said what, what's your level of trust in this, this body or this organisation to deal with data and in every case the trust in the use of data was less than the trust in the institution more generally. And that's something they call the data trust deficit. So whatever happens, there is less trust in a body to deal with data than there is in a body. And when your entire model is based on infallibility, that's going to end badly. Possibly not today, possibly not next week, but at some point the trust will be broken just because... Nobody, nothing is infallible. So we need another new question. So the new que so can you get a list of where your individual medical record has gone and why and what happened as a result? 
Now, Ellen's talk last week on data responsibility said how important it is that the UK's policy that all publicly funded academic research is available for you to read for free. That has been a tenet of UK policy for a while and is actually incredibly good for driving benefits of knowledge. This, has been, this research is publicly funded, the public should read it because it does a lot of good things. Most of the legitimate data uses go to research. And the researchers already published, they want their papers read. They are, if you're applying for public funds, you, you, your application goes on a public website anyway. So the public researchers doesn't change anything. It's just a case of, it's the dark corners of data releases that cause public concern. It's not the public researchers. So can you know what, could you know where your medical records have gone? Yes, you could. Because they keep track. Well, now they do, anyway. And in practice, it's a bit more complicated than that, but it's only a bit more complicated. It's not a lot more complicated. So how could they tell you? And the way they could tell you is this. And I was supposed to wave a paper copy, but I've left them in my bag outside. So this is a PDF mock-up. If you want to look at the actual thing, Google mm. Personalised Data Usage Report, and what you do is you log into your GP practice and download this thing. It's a PDF and our mock-up is like 10 pages. And yeah, it's produced for you by the institutional member of the NHS. It's available via your GP where you already have a login to get new prescriptions and all of those things. And this one was designed and printed by us, but the other ones would be done by somebody else. And if, given that this is the ODI, if you don't want to log in and read a PDF, you can have a bot do something with the structured data or whatever. Um, so what would it contain? So this bit is actually pretty simple. Um, this is already done. Where was your record accessed for direct care? So in the NHS, there were two things. There was direct care, which is what you think of as you showing up and talking to a doctor or a nurse or some profession. And, you know, they keep track of that because your GP knows when somebody accesses your record because that's in the GP systems. The hosp most hospital systems keep some form of track and they could tell you and go, you know, you were in this hospital on this, your record was accessed in this hospital on this date, it was accessed to your GP practice on this date. And what that would tell you is that all the, all the days that weren't here, nothing happened. Which if what you're worried about is, did something happen I don't know about, you can look at that list and go, no, it didn't. Some of you were at the Open Up event with the former review of Counter Terrorism when he talked about walking into A&E and the Muckles of Modern Technology where he walked into A&E, gave his name and date of birth and being told his mobile phone number just to, uh, so we could contact him. Now, A&E has to work like that, but Alex Carlyle's date of birth is on his Wikipedia page. And it's not really a secret. So some transparency here might start to assuage some of the concerns about the stuff that has to work, because it's A&E, but equally, there, there's some potential for abuse there. I probably wouldn't pass for a 70-year-old person, but, you know, we can hire people. So now, here's for what the NHS calls secondary uses. And this is basically uses about you but that don't involve you. This is data, you know, you, won't, you, know, you are not involved in 
any part of this decision. And this is what normally gets used as central uses, which is academic research. And this is a screenshot from our mock-up, and it's a case of, well, where did data go? And where did data go in a way that you can go and read the paper? And at some point, one of these research labs might win a Nobel Prize. And there'd be lots of clapping. And everyone will go, that's a really good thing. But if you're telling people where their data went and all the benefits from it, because you now keep track, and they do, when that Nobel Prize or whatever esteem measures that you want to mention, you can go back to the patients who were in that study probably 20 years ago and say, you helped with this, thank you. This is what happened. There's a new drug. There's a new treatment. There's a bunch of new things. Yeah, that is not, I help medical research in practice, but my records helped directly because I was in the study. And it may be that you were in the study just as a normal person who was a control group. This is the stuff that tends not to get talked about. But it's the same tick box as the academic research. This is other forms of secondary uses, and it's all stuff that causes concern. It's the commercial people who try to sell your data and then breach the terms and conditions and then lobby for the rules to change so that they can have data again. <coughs> Um, the secondary uses here are all real. I took them from the um, registers. So you'd see the arguments about why this data is necessary for um, companies to buy. But what they talk about in their advocacy is all the stuff we saw on the previous slide. It's not this stuff. Um, they don't really, you know, what people say they use this for and what they actually use it for are quite the same thing. And you'll notice here that there's a narrative. So when there's a problem, the NHS can tell patients this is what happened and what to do about it in a way that is directly affecting you and doesn't have to be simplified to the level that you can fit on the front page of a newspaper. Um, it's not just Nobel Prizes. The most uh, common case for this is somebody screwed up. Most of that looks like it's to do with quality control. Um, Audit process improvements, ways to do things better. Very, very, you know, that, yeah. Um, generally, it is. Methodological um, A lot of it is, here's how to fiddle, fiddle the figures in practice in terms of what the commercial uses are. That's one, but they sell it to every hospital in the country, and it's, yeah. Very, yeah. Set to be, it was the top 20 in whatever um, the current data was. I didn't uh, sample it, but there was a. The sequencing has a secure. So the if patients know what's going on, decisions will, can be made on the three principles. Is it safe? Yeah. Is in the abstract this a good idea? Is what being done safe? Now don't forget the NHS routinely carries out operations to cut people's legs off. <coughs> they just do check that it's the right leg first, and they have processes in place to not get that wrong. Um, so the consensual. Did you give approval for it? There are times that you don't get a choice. If the person next to you has Ebola, then there are various laws that kick in at that point. They're rare, but they're there, because this is health. Um, but, you know, was what you chose to happen respected? And transparent is, how do you know that it was respected? And, you know, what happened next? And those three tests are surprisingly flexible and scalable. So, basically, that is 
data usage reports. Now, there's a committee of good conscientious people who give advice on whether a proposal for some data use, which we saw, should be accepted. And their big, hard, scary question is, what happens if we get it wrong? And at some point, a wrong decision will be made, whether down to dishonesty by an applicant, and we've seen bits of that, or just plain incompetence by, the, by a normally respectable requester, and we've seen plenty of that too. The thing is that things will go wrong at some point, and yeah, that body's job is to make sure they don't go wrong on their watch. And they can try and minimise that, but in the long term and at scale, something will go wrong yeah, possibly next week. So how do you build trust now for when there is a problem that there is a better world there? And if things are going to go wrong, and let's not pretend that they won't because they will... Do you want to know where your medical records have gone? Because you can go read the list and go, I wasn't there. I, my data wasn't in that problem. And that's not, I think it wasn't, or reading a rough summary, I don't believe it was. You can actually know. You don't have to trust. You can read and you can know something. And when what happened, it was interesting, when we started talking to people about data usage reports, everyone said, yes, we can do our bit. But nobody else wants to. That was the sort of proviso. It's like, we could do this, but we don't think anybody else did so we went and spoke to, well, everybody else, and everyone was like, yeah, we could do our bit, but would everyone else do it? And it's like, well, this is actually not hard, because all the systems have it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not rocket science, it's not computer science. It's basically a log file analyzer and a PDF creator glued together. This is not difficult. You just need to scale it to 53 million PDFs. And, yeah, we can do that at scale. Now, some people who've heard me talk and other places talk about a little program called Care.Data. And Care.Data is, in practice, an egregious screw-up, but there are other smaller problems that will generally cause a low level of concern. And this is about solving everything. I was at a formal policy conference a few weeks ago. Very nice venue, very nice seats. And the program manager for the institution of the NHS uh, got up to talk before me about all the things that Kelly was doing. And they said, hi, no, thing. And uh, I'm the program manager for Kelly Data. And the audience laughed. And yeah, that's not normally a laugh line at a formal conference. Um, and yeah, sitting here in the ODI, there are two concerns. If Care Data is toxic, it's dripping waste all around Whitehall. As people think, oh, that's what data's for, I'll have a copy of that. We saw it in Scotland yesterday where they've passed the rules that say the NHS in Scotland built a nice database for research uh, and the bit of the Scottish tax office said, well, we don't actually know who lives in Scotland. The NHS does. Let's have their database, please. And there'll be more on things like that next week. Everybody I've seen is committed to their part in the process. And it's a, seeing every little step they're trying to do is a good idea. And it might be if we ignore the guy who conceded flogging your medical records... But making the best of a bad system leaves you stuck in a bad system. And the next person in their job may make a different decision. But systems are based on law, and we can change law. So let's go back to a very, very big picture. Um, I grew up near here. Uh, and I love this particular photo because, yeah, it's the Mancunian Way really quite an ugly bit of Manchester 
but the Mancunian Way was the central government plan in the 1960s to put a motorway through the centre of Manchester. Um, they tried this in a bunch of cities, and Manchester, well, had it built. And Whitehall thought of an exit, which you can see here, running from there onto a hill that's basically behind where the photo was taken. Um, and the local council didn't want that exit to be there. They, they do traffic stuff, but got overruled because central government runs the main roads, local government runs the others, and they didn't really get on because this was, you know, Manchester versus London. So when construction began, the local council made the street that this would connect to one way, in the other direction. Um, and then stuck a big promotional M sign, which has disappeared from Street View. Uh, apparently somebody crashed into it. Um, and, you know, put a billboard in, so welcome to Manchester. Um, if you know the history of a guy called Robert Moses, you'll know the impact he had on New York. And if you don't, he has a very long Wikipedia page, and it's an even longer book. Uh, and he held many, many jobs simultaneously and rammed projects through, basically, lots of parts of New York via sheer force of will. And that's an interesting analogy, because when his projects failed, he got more, po more power to try and fix them. And, yeah, a contemporary analogy is, a, is the mixture between President Putin and Prince Andrew. Um, and those decisions way back, starting the 40s to the early 80s, create legacies which we can learn from history. And we have a great many legacies in how data is used, especially in the NHS, but also a lot wider. And the legacies created might not quite be the legacy that you or the public wanted, especially on giant pro public works and programs. Because the world has a habit of taking what you wanted to happen and corrupting it um, to what it wanted to happen. Care data was supposed to be the biggest amount of data that they could sell without anybody caring. Oops. And the NHS is actually in this mess around what it's been doing with selling your lifetime medical history because of a decision in the late 80s that a centralised copy of data from hospitals would be useful. And it is useful. But in 1989, there wasn't really data protection law, so they could do whatever they wanted. And they didn't really have to tell anybody, because it was 1989 we didn't have data protection law. And like all bureaucracies, they kept doing the same thing again until somebody noticed. And people noticed last year. So 25 years after they started doing it, people, they're now writing privacy impact assessment. Um, and that ended up with actually quite a large public mess. We're losing a lot of confidence in the NHS and its use of data. Now, data usage reports are an attempt to fix that problem. But how about we, we can engineer things into processes now that take not this new thing of the internet and it's, you know, 20 years old or even 10 years old of everybody having it or whatever you want to count, or, you know, a year if it's, everybody can, get, can actually have an online service at their GP... That's now infrastructure. And the way Robert Moses ran New York um, was very much like his own city-state. And we don't have many of those in the, in the West. But given last week's announcement about devolution to Manchester of all of the NHS and a bunch of other things, the UK is starting to look at maybe creating a semi-independent one. 
And yeah, I suggested to a friend that Taylor Swift was apparently singing about George Osborne. Um, and you may have seen that Manchester's about to get a bunch of control of its NHS and other infrastructure services in a way that may or may not make sense, depending on who you talk to and decisions that basically haven't been written down yet, so quite frankly nobody knows what they're going to be. But if government is looking to restructure a bunch of major services at a cohesive level, of which, you know, Greater Manchester is a cohesive level, it's going to require work, and actually quite interesting work. And if government as a platform, and all the stuff we've heard about that over the last few weeks, is about using tech on government services, what does, it, what does fundamentally redesigning all of that in a digital age actually mean? Will all theoretical discussions of privacy by design meet the practical benefits? The personal data usage report tells you this is what happened. And yet we can do that now, and we should have been able to do it for about a decade. But if we're looking to re-engineer how services live and, and a bunch of work, what should we be doing that says, well, of course you should have access to this, and what does it allow to happen as well? Should you know who's had access to your medical records? Absolutely, it's a no-brainer. What if it wasn't just your medical records? And that seems to be a really interesting question that can go quite a long way to starting to solve some of the really hard problems and the opportunities ahead. It's a pretty safe bet that data, linking data, is going to be an issue for the next decade or two. And what happens with databases is people build something for one reason and it gets copied for another. We saw that in Scotland yesterday which is the entire data, health database for Scotland is now going to be used to figure out who to tax. That's probably not what people thought when they were consenting to this in the first place. But how do you have a conversation? And a lot of the debate in Scotland has been, well, okay, what's going to be next and how do we know about it? Um, so, thank you for listening. I'm happy to take questions, including and especially on the stuff I didn't cover... But if you could get a data usage report for everything, what would you want it to cover for anything that's not just health? Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.